Wednesday night, I, I preached on the power of prayer, and I only preached two points. So just, man, you could, if you want to just preach on the power that is, is given to us when we enter into prayer with God. Prayer is as powerful as God is because in prayer, you're, you're linked with God, and all things are possible right then and right there. When you touch him, there's nothing that God cannot or will not do through your life or in your life. And so I only preached two points and there's just, there just no need just thinking, well, we're going to keep with that until we finish because you, you could never finish that. The, the power of God is infinite. And if you weren't able to listen, I'll just challenge you to listen. The reason God has dealt with me so on prayer, I, I think about the books that have been written on prayer, the messages preached on prayer. We've even got songs in the song book on, on prayer, and I don't want to sound redundant to be preaching on it, but as I as when you know you're shut in and you're quarantined, I told somebody there's nowhere to go. That is, you don't want to get out and expose people to your sickness, so there's nowhere to go and had nothing else to do and nobody else to be with except for God and, and, and just in prayer shut in with him thinking of the ones that were sick praying for them but mostly thinking of the ones that aren't saved that are lost and how close we are to the coming of the Lord Amen. I think everything going on in our nation ought to be screaming to you as a believer I mean the end is upon us I never thought in my wildest dreams as a little boy growing up in America. You know, the 70s were some of the, I look back, some awesome. If you just want to go back and listen to some awesome gospel music, go back and listen to those, those quartets that came through their heydays were in the early 70s. Man, they were lighting the world up with, with gospel music. Good stuff. And uh, that's that's some of my favorite music still today to listen to. And uh, but the preaching and and, and the church uh, that that was the era that I grew up in as a little boy in Church of God's and Assembly of God's the power of the Holy Ghost moving and falling. But America as a whole, who ever thought in our wildest dreams that we would see a our nation embrace socialism. I would have told you, you've lost your mind. It'll never happen. Over all of our dead bodies would that ever happen. But I, I'm watching it happen before my eyes. Who, who would have thought we would embrace this, uh, Biden says transgender rights will be the one of the major points of his administration. But that'll be one of his key fighting points that he fights for transgender rights. I thought to myself, what world am I living in? Is this my America? And as the church goes, that's the way the nation that it's in goes. Something went wrong years ago. I, you know, when I look at the preacher's kids that aren't even saved, I'm talking about my friends my best friends in the world that I have in ministry, many of them I've watched their children fall away from God. I've prayed with them in youth camps. Watched them pray through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Watched them just shouting, you know, run and jump and fall out in the floor under the power of the Spirit. And I've asked the Lord, Lord, what, what happened? What's wrong? Wherein lies the problem because people I love and adore are going to miss the rapture. We're, we're on it. We're at the door. You're about to return. And their mind's a million miles from you, your word, your kingdom. They're just lost. And God spoke to me specifically and he said, herein lies the problem. There was never an altar. There was never a place where they were intimate with me 
Listen, if, if, uh, if the only time you ever feel God, touch God, or get excited about God is in a camp meeting setting, in a revival setting, in a, in a youth camp, in a, in a conference atmosphere, hey, and I get that. That's an awesome time when believers come together and you ought to be able to experience that. But listen, that would be like, you know, for a young person to go to the go to the fairgrounds and ride a bunch of roller co coasters and rides. That's a, exhilarating. That's fun. And when they go back home, there's no more rides and no more fun and games and everything goes back to, you know, life is not. God isn't meant to be some exhilarating high. He isn't meant to be a a, a, a fun time at a, at a theme park. He isn't meant to be a moment of entertainment. To, and I feel as though if we don't teach our children and disciple our converts that you must be a man or a woman of prayer, there has to be an altar in your life. Prayer must become like water. It must become like food and it must become like air. It must become the, 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 the bare necessity of your life. You can't make it without an altar in your life. You can't. You won't. It won't last. I want to preach this morning and I don't know how long God will have me on the subject or the topic of prayer, but I want to preach out of Luke chapter 6 and verse number 12. And I title my message, The Characteristics of Prayer. Just thinking about a person and the characteristics, the character traits of their life. And in your Christian life, one of the character traits of your life ought to be prayer. And out of that thought come this message, the characteristics of prayer. In your prayer life, things ought to stand out, just like character traits stand out in my life and my personal life. I started thinking about, you know, different character traits and people that I've known through the years, and some of them are just, if you were to ask me of some of their character traits, I'd say, he's me. He's just me. You get around them long enough, they're just going to bite you. They're me. And then there are other people with character traits. You ask sweetest people I've ever known in the whole world. Just love pours and exudes. Never heard them say a hateful word or, you know, a mean-hearted or mean-spirited thing about nobody. Just some of the sweetest people on the planet. You get around other people, they're just funny. They're fun to be around. Brother Nail's one of those people for me. When I get around him, my ribs is going to hurt. He just, he just makes me happy to be around. And uh, he's got all, all kind of little sayings that I like, and he just he tickles me. He likes to, to cut up. And my wife says I need those kind of people in my life because I'm, she said I'm, I take things way too serious all the time. That's why God gave me her. We kind of balance each other out. I told her, you have to be serious sometime. So I balance her out. She balances me out. But she says those are the kind of people I need in my life. So thank God for the Larry Nails in my life. Let's read together out of Luke uh, chapter 6 and verse 12. Our children are going to stay in with us this week. And uh, Lord willing, we'll, we'll start Sunday school and uh, Children's Church back next week. So help us get the word out and make plans to be here next uh, next week for Sunday school. And our children will be back in Children's Church uh, next week. Luke chapter 6, and one verse, verse number 12. And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in Amen. prayer to God. And that's speaking of Jesus. He went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. You think if the Son of God needed to pray, I think you and I ought to be men and women to pray. Everything he did, he did for our benefit, for our example. He was, 
He was the firstborn of many brethren, and he prayed. Jesus was a man of prayer, and I want to preach on the characteristics of prayer. Father, I pray you'll touch me. You'll anoint me to preach what you've yes, so poured into my spirit and laid upon my heart. If I could feel you again right now, this moment, like I felt you walking and pacing those floors last night, if your hand could rest upon me now like it did in that very moment, Father, I would be so thankful, so grateful, so appreciative. Uh, I pray, oh God, you'll help me to preach it, help me to convey it, and pour it out of me like you poured it into me. I pray that every heart, oh God, would burn with zeal, with fire, with passion, and even with conviction that we might become men and women of prayer. And out of that might be birthed all of your heart and all of your desire that you would do in us in these last days. Grant it, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. If you love him, would you say amen? amen. Much has been said and preached concerning prayer throughout the history of the church. I, I so realize that. We've had prayer conferences, prayer breakfasts. We've preached and sang about prayer. So without boring you or running the risk of sounding monotonous, I just want to share with you from my heart on the age-old subject of prayer as we talk about the characteristics of prayer. Prayer can be preached from on two different perspectives. Number one, uh, example or historical, we can point out in scripture men and women of prayer. We can look at their life and try to model and example our prayer life after theirs. And then there is the experiential side of prayer. Nobody knows how to pray until they start praying. I think you can live your whole life for God and never what we call master the art of praying. I, I think God just continually deals with us uh, to progress in our walk with God through prayer until we come to a place where the Apostle Paul taught the people you ought to pray without ceasing. Your life ought to be constant and continually in a state uh, of prayer. Christ is without a doubt our greatest example of how we ought to pray and also the results that prayer brings to those uh, who pray. By example, Jesus taught us, uh, number one, the singularity of prayer. And by the singularity of prayer, I, I, I want to bring out in Luke 11 and 2, he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Uh, you, you only pray to one being. You only pray in one name to one God. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism. I'm not praying to a multiplicity of gods. Thank God I'm not of the Hindu faith. They have over one billion gods. They are so confused. Everything to them is a God and they don't know who to pray to. And because they pray to a million different gods, the devil usurps that as worship and many of them are demon possessed. They've never known the truth. They've never had a prayer answered. They've never been made witness to a miracle. They don't know about a God who can transform you and bring you out of darkness into marvelous light. They don't know anything about being changed. Old things passing away. They've never been allowed to take on the nature that is the the, the, the holiness uh, of, uh, uh, of our God that we've been allowed to partake of. Uh, I, I just want to declare that in prayer, Jesus was very singular. He wasn't searching. Uh, he wasn't feeling. Uh, he wasn't experimenting. Uh, he knew there's no God but Jehovah. There's no God but, but our God. He's God all by himself. Uh, somebody said, 
you're bigoted, you're narrow-minded. You think, how dare you to say all those other people, all the Buddhists and all the Hindus and all the Muslims uh, aren't going to heaven. I said, I didn't say it, sir. God said it. Uh, and if he's the creator, he's got the right to say it. Uh, he's our maker. He's sovereign. He's God. He don't want you praying to a, to, to a statue, to a piece of wood, or to a rock that you can carve out with your own hands. He's revealed himself. He's speaking. He's talking. He's moving. If you would dare but listen. Hallelujah. The singularity of prayer is uh, there's only one God in Psalms 86 and 10. For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Uh, thou art God alone. Isaiah 37 and 16, O Lord of hosts, uh, God of Israel, that dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made the heaven and the earth. And Isaiah 45 and Five, he said, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me. They That they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. And now hear what the Lord Jesus says concerning this one God and how we should approach him. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and alive. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus is the door. He's the only way to God our Father. And we should seek Him and only Him when we bow the knee to pray. Acts 17 and 28 says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. We exist as far as God is concerned as a church only in Christ. I'm not wondering which name to call on. I'm not wondering who to seek. I'm not searching for another place to go. I'm not looking for a feeling or a thrill or any kind of emotional high. I am looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith, the door of heaven, the portal of glory. He's the road. His love lights the way. Hallelujah to God. My life consists of him. That's the singularity of prayer. Who do you pray to? Jesus. There's no question about that. If you're praying to anybody else, you're lost. If you pray to anybody else, you'll be demon-possessed. Amen. I'm just telling you the truth. Secondly, I want us to see the, we're talking about the characteristics of prayer. I want us to see the simplicity of prayer, the singularity of prayer, and then the simplicity of prayer in Acts 17 and 28. Uh, I just quoted, for in him we live and move and have our being. The simplicity in prayer is that uh, if that it takes Christ to live, if it takes Christ for me to move, if it takes Christ for me to exist as far as God is concerned spiritually, then it would behoove me to pray. It would behoove me or benefit me if I need something to bow my knee and approach God and ask him for it. In Luke 11 and 9, I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that would just come to him in prayer? The simplicity of prayer is to simply come to God and say, I need you. Yes, Lord. 
I need you. I have need in my life. In you I live. In you I move. In you I have no being. I have no other source. I have no other strength. I have no other ability. I have no other wisdom. I can only come to you. Hallelujah. It's the first principle that our children learn in their lifetime. Listen, children are dependent upon their father and upon their mother. I'm talking about infants and babies. I think they're dependent for much longer than that, but they're, they're not afraid to ask. Come on here. They don't have the wisdom you have. They don't have the ability, the strength, the, the knowledge, the know-how. The, the, the things necessary to provide for themselves, the only power that God has given to them at their disposal is to be able to ask. Okay. They're born as infants. Uh, the only ability they have to speak is to cry. <laughs> and any time they need something, they cry. <laughs> and when they cry, you get the message. Uh, yes. They're hungry. Yeah. You know, they're... they're they need a diaper change. They're, they're tired or they're sleepy or something in them. You know, they're in pain somehow. Their stomach's hurting or something's going on. The ability that God gave them is to open their mouth. It is to cry out of need, to cry out of necessity. Hosea 12 and 2, listen to this. The Lord hath also a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings. Will he recompense him? He took his brother by the heel in the womb and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with us. Even the Lord God of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment and wait on thy God continually. Do you know Hosea's plea to Israel was look to, look to your forefather Jacob, who he called Israel. Look to your conception. Look to your beginning when he was lost, when he was undone, when he was a heel catcher, when he was a supplanter, when he was a deceiver, when his nature was only evil. He caught his brother by the heel and he said also in, in his uh, later years, uh, he caught the Lord and he there wrestled with him and wouldn't let him go. There was something in him, though he was rotten to the core. He wanted to be changed. Uh, he wanted all God had for him uh, and he knew the only way to get it was to lay hold of the one who had it. Uh, he thought it was his brother's birthright, uh, but later in life he realized where the birthright came from, where the blood blessing came from. It come from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Oh yeah, he learned. I need to lay hold on God. And the Lord said, let me go. He said, I won't ever let you go until you bless me. The blessing for him was the change of his heart, the change of his character, the change of his nature. Listen to Ephesians 3 and 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundant above all that we ask what's asking is praying that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us Amen. he said yea he had power over the angel and prevailed and he said God said he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all we can ask or think according to the power that works in us the power that works in us is the same power that worked in Jacob to prevail with God and to be transformed from Jacob to Israel, and that is the power to pray. I, for years, I thought he was talking about the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe in Pentecost. It's one of my favorite themes in all the Bible. I'm not ashamed of Pentecost. I believe in Holy Ghost power. I believe in the manifestation of that power. I believe in 
the initial physical evidence of speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I believe in the operation of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm Pentecostal in my mind. I'm Pentecostal down in my bones. There's a fire burning in them. This morning I can tell you when I read that's what I saw. When I see the word power, I think of Holy Ghost power. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all I can ask or even think according to the power that works in me. And I pray for years, Lord, let that Holy Ghost power work in me, causing me to be able to accomplish or to receive exceeding abundantly above all I could ask or think. And the Lord finally spoke to me one day in prayer with Larry and he said, you're taking that verse wrong. You're taking that verse out of context. And I said, Lord, what are you saying? What does it mean? And he took me to Hosea and he said, Jacob had power with God and he prevailed and he didn't have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And the Lord said, I've given unto every man, woman, boy, and girl a lost man who needs to be born again or a saved man who needs to be filled or healed. I've given to every man, woman, boy, and girl the right to avail themselves unto me in prayer. You can make you an altar and God will meet with you there. That is the power that works in every one of our hearts. Hallelujah. If you don't like where you are in God, as far as in relation to him being too far away, if you don't like where you are in God, the good news is you've got power to change it. You can build you an altar this morning and you can climb higher. You can draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Hebrews 7 and 19, for the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. That was Jesus Christ. By the which we draw nigh to God. James 4 and 8, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. We talked about the, simpl uh, the singularity of prayer and then the simplicity of prayer. Now I want to talk about the servitude of prayer. God spoke this to my heart because I, I wouldn't have come up with a word like servitude. It's not a word that I use very often. And when God speaks a word to me in prayer, and I don't use it very often and don't know how to use it to, in context of a, you know, of a message, I like to pull the dictionary out and I look the word up. Servitude. Webster's Dictionary says a condition in which one lacks liberty, especially to determine one's course of action or way of life. And I said, Webster flew over my head a little bit. I don't know exactly what Webster's trying to tell me, so I like to look for synonyms and anonyms. You know what a synonym is. It's a similar word, a, a word that's got a... A, a, a similar meaning. Anonym would be the opposite. And synonyms were bondage. Talking about servitude, bondage, enslavement, servility, slavery, thraldom, or a yoke. I said, oh, I understand, Lord. I understand now about this uh, servitude of prayer. You calling me to God Almighty, I feel the Lord. You're calling me to get in the yoke with you. Hallelujah. That is the calling of every man, woman, boy, and girl. If you're a Christian, your call of Christ is uh, get in the yoke with me. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. You think prayers work. You think prayers hard work in war until you get in the yoke with him. Until the spirit of God comes down on you. Until he begins to pray through you. And then prayer becomes your joy. Christ is a man of prayer. Philippians 2. 
in verse 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, the form of a slave. Do you know his servitude with, uh, uh, under God was his prayer life? Christ was a man of prayer and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Oh, God began to talk to me. Think about this, entering in the yoke with Jesus Christ. That's what you do when you build an altar. You feel his stirring, his moving, his calling you. Oh, he calls you. Seek me. David said, when thou saidest unto me, seek my face. I said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. Early will I seek thee. You hear the call of God calling you into prayer. You build that altar and you get down and you begin to pour your heart out to God. What you've done is enter into a yoke with the Lord Jesus Christ. That will be your lot in life. That will be your highest calling. That will be the place that the Lord will not ever allow you to drift from or to leave. Think about this, entering into that yoke with him. What is a yoke? It ties two oxen, two mules, or two horses together so that they can pull together. In a yoke, in a yoke, I ain't no, I wasn't born in horse and buggy days. I was born in John Deere days. I ain't never, I ain't never worked a yoke of oxen or a yoke of mules or a yoke of horses in my life, but I know men who did. Men who I had the privilege of pastoring when they were in their 80s and some in their 90s would tell me as a boy, working a team of mules, working a team of oxen in their dad or in their grandpa's field. That's how it was done. Now we just crank the tractor. Now you just need some diesel fuel and a key. But a yoke was made to make two animals one. The one is without a doubt stronger than the other. The yoke evenly distributes the weight of the load so that the weight is even, evenly shared among both creatures. The two in the yoke become one so the two in the yoke actually become equals. Though I'm not as strong as the strong ox, though I don't have the capacity to pull like the strong mule does, when I get in the yoke with him, I'm made strong. Hallelujah. I'm made more than a conqueror. God Almighty. Why would you not want to get in the yoke with him? Amen. The two in the same yoke become equal in strength and power. Christ is my Lord. If he is a man of prayer and I am in the yoke with him, then it becomes my place to pray. What does that young ox that they're trying to train? Oh, oh brother, Fane told me, I pastored him at Somerdale. Brother Fane told me, he said, you know, when we had a, a new ox, oh, maybe an older ox would die. We'd get a new ox, and he said, you put him in the yoke with the old ox. 
He ain't as big and he ain't as strong. But he's got to start somewhere and he's got to learn from somebody. So you put him in with the biggest one and the strongest one, the one that knows what to do, that knows how to work, that knows his master's command. He knows which direction to turn. He knows when to go and when to stop. That old young ox don't know nothing. But you put him in that yoke with that older, bigger ox. And he said, that young ox put his old hoofs down. He don't want to plow. Plowing ain't no fun. He'd rather eat hay in the barn. He don't want to plow. But the old ox is broken. He's submissive. He's obedient. When he hears, he feels them reins pull back. He hears that owner's command. I don't know what it is. Come on here. Come on here, boy. Come on here. Get up. Let's go now. Whatever. He starts out pulling. He said, that old young ox put his haunches down in the ground. He said, big boy, just drag him. You in the oak with me? We plowing today. You in the yoke, the master wants to sow this field and we're going to break it up. Yeah. Woo! Hallelujah to God. Get to the end of that row. He said, I tell him which way to turn. He said, that old young ox, he still got his haunches in. He don't want to go nowhere, said old big boy. Just snatch him around to the left. Make him a circle and pull him back down the other side. I said, he said, I said to my grandpa, Grandpa, this little ox ain't going to work out. He ain't going to do nothing I tell him to do. It's taking us all day to plow. He said, let big boy train him, son. He's in the yoke with the one who can break him. You can't break him, but the big boy in the yoke with him is going to break him. He said, how's he going to do it? He said, he's going to rub all the hair and all the hide off his neck with that yoke. He said, tomorrow, when you put him in there to go work the other side of the road, he said, when big boy it goes and that yoke touching that raw sore neck when he goes he said that little one's gonna go with him big boy wants to pull to the left the little one's gonna turn to the left with him he's gonna learn it's easy to pull with the one who can plow the field he said before long he'll learn every command before long he'll pull just as hard before long he'll be just as broken and just as submitted he'll be a, 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 a plow ox that's what prayer does to me when I get in the yoke with the one who knows it all with the one who possesses all power. It ain't in me. It ain't in my ability to pray. I'm no better of a prayer than nobody else in this place. But I do have the ability to learn. I've learned. Paul said in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. I've learned I'm in the yoke with Christ. He's carrying me somewhere. I'm doing God's work. I'm in God's will. I've learned to follow him. Amen. My spirit calls unto my people in a late hour to repair the altar that has been broken down, to renew the call that has been forsaken from I, the Lord, unto my church, my bride, my sons and daughters. And that is to seek my face. That is to find me in an altar of prayer. That is to enter into covenant with me in the yoke 
of prayer. I am strong whereas you are weak. I am the all-knowing and ancient of days where you cannot tell me what will happen on tomorrow. Seek me in this late hour. I will put my wisdom in your heart. I will show you things that are to come. I will remove fear. I will take away the doubt. I will replace your excuse with my power, saith the Lord, for I desire men to know me. Hallelujah. He's a man of prayer. And I'm in the yoke with him. It's my place to pray. I don't have a choice anymore. It's my service to God. God is not interested in hearing me preach unless I've been in the yoke with him. I don't have nothing to say. You don't have a fresh word from God. If you haven't been in the yoke with the Lord, you don't know how to plow God's field. Neither do I. You don't know what needs to be rooted up. And God can't sow unless the field's broken up. Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. What is my reasonable service? The giving of myself unto God in prayer. That's my servitude unto God. God knows if he can't get you to pray, he can't do anything in you. If I could teach children anything, It'd be you're going to feel God around here when I pray. You're going to feel God up here when we sing and worship. You're going to feel God when we lay hands on you and touch you. You're made to feel God. God wants you to feel him. But the only way you abide in him is you got to pray. I don't know how to pray. Well, just start somewhere. Just start talking to God. Just start crying out to the Lord. Make an appointment with God. Tell him everything on your heart. And then wait on him to talk back to you and listen. Make prayer. Make prayer your practice. And before long, prayer will become your servitude to God. Most Christians believe in prayer. They believe God answers prayer. They believe prayer to be a powerful weapon. But they believe, this is what they show me by their life, they believe more so in prayer by proxy. You know what I'm talking about. Proxy, the agency, function, or office of a deputy who acts as a substitute for another. Pray for me, preacher. I need God. I can pray for you, I am praying for you, and I will pray for you, but at some point in this thing, you're going to have to pray for yourself. Somebody said, pray for my son, he's in jail, he's on drugs. I am praying for him. I'm going to pray for him. But my Lord, he's your son, and you don't even pray for him. And obviously you didn't teach your son to pray for himself. I'm telling you what the secret to keeping him out of jail and off drugs and out of this world. You need to teach your children how to pray. You need to lead them in the example of prayer. While there is such a thing as intercession, intercessory prayer, they can be no substitute for you praying. I can pray for you when you don't have the ability or even when you don't have the know-how to pray. Lost people, many of them don't know how to pray. But you have to pray at some point. I can pray for you to be saved, but if you get saved, it'll be because you prayed and asked God to save you. 
I can pray for you to be healed, but if you get healed, it's because you prayed and asked God to heal you. I can pray for your household to experience revival, but your household will have to pray as the result of revival or for the result of revival. You'll have to pray. To walk with Jesus is to enlist your life into the servitude of prayer. Jesus said in Luke 18 and 1, he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. B.H. Clendenin said to me, you know what that verse says, boy? That's what he called me, boy. You know what that verse is saying, don't you, boy? I said, I think I do. Praying don't ever quit praying. Pray and always pray. Pray and don't stop praying for anything. He said, yeah. That verse is also saying, if you don't pray, you'll faint. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. He's saying to you, Sullivan, if you stop praying, you'll stop. If you cease to pray, you'll quit preaching and become an entertainer. You won't have anything fresh from God. You're preaching. His favorite subject, or his favorite saying, not said, his favorite subject, or saying rather, if you ain't been in prayer with God, whatever words you're saying or singing are like dry peas hitting a buckhide. You're just making sound for somebody to hear, but it ain't doing nothing. You'll pray or you'll faint. To endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ is to yoke with the Lord in prayer. Prayer is an act of war on the enemy. Prayer is fighting the good fight of faith. To pray is to win the battle. Curse if you come help me, I need to quit. I want us to look at the sanctity of prayer. As I enter into the yoke with Christ, I will be made holy as he is holy. Romans 8 and 29, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. If you know him, the Bible said you'll be made like him. If you get in the yoke with the holy Christ, it won't be long. He's going to make you holier. You'll be getting out. Amen. Philippians 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What he's saying, for me to live is for Jesus to live. Galatians 2 and 20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. If there's sin in me, in that yoke, his light will reveal it. His spirit will convince me and convict me of it, and I will confess it and forsake it and repent. Then I will awaken in his likeness with a passion and desire to remain in the yoke with him. And in Luke chapter number 11, his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. And they never said, Lord, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to start a church. Teach us how to operate in the gifts. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. Because we see you pray. And when you come out of your prayer time with the Father, we've seen you do things that no man can do. Listen, he taught them in response, teach us to pray. He said, when you pray, he said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed or holy be thy name. The sanctity of prayer, he's teaching them the holiness of God in prayer. In that yoke, you're made holy in servitude to God Almighty. In that yoke, you abide in him, and when you pray in that yoke, you are asking in him. In John 14 and 13, whatsoever ye ask in my name, 
that will I do, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. In my name is not just every time we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus. But in my name means you're in the yoke with me. And when you're in the yoke with me, when you ask, the Father hears me. He's not so much hearing you. And whatever you ask him in me, he's going to always do it. He said, you shall ask anything in my name. I will do it. In my name is not a coin phrase you utter with your lips. But in my name is to be in the yoke with him. To be made holy like him. He's pulling the load with me in prayer to accomplish the Father's will. Stand with me if you're able. The solitude of prayer is where I want to leave you with. Prayer is you and God. God and you. There is corporate prayer. That's praying with one another in a group setting in a sanctuary around this altar. There's always a place for that. Corporate prayer is a powerful thing. But the problem is we spend most of our lives apart from one another. We must have a time and a place where we make an altar unto God. There's no fanfare. There's no applaud. There's no praise. There's nobody to impress. There's nobody to be embarrassed in front of. If you make your mind up to pray, if you determine to see the hand of God move, to have revival, to possess God's anointing, to be filled with his fullness and power, you'll find yourself alone you'll find that most men don't really want revival. They won't meet you consistently to pray. You'll find most people, they want God's touch. They don't want his fullness. They won't consistently pray. You'll find that if you really want to touch him, really want his fullness, really want to possess him and know him, you'll find that most times in your life are spent alone with God in prayer. But you'll be a blessing to the world because of it. You'll touch a world that needs God. Men will marvel not at you, but at Christ in you. As out of your belly flows rivers of living water, they'll ask, tell me, where did you get that message? Your answer will be, from God in prayer. Oh, how does God do such wonders in your life? Have you remained faithful? Why haven't you compromised your conviction or backslid from where God's brought you from? Because of my time with him in the altar, he keeps me. He's able to keep us from falling. He's going to present us faultless at his appearing. His appearing could be at any moment. My heart's troubled. We're so near to the rapture and so few people are people of prayer. They're not watching. They're not waiting. They're not ready. But if you'll determine in your heart, I'm going to make an altar and I'm going to get in the yoke with Christ and I'm going to spend my life in servitude with him in prayer you'll never fear the sound of the trumpet you'll never worry a day in your life about backsliding you won't fear any devil you'll walk with Christ in power he'll reveal himself to you your life will get sweeter by the day your light will grow more bright and more prominent the closer we get you want to make an altar where you are, if you want to spread out around this altar, I want us to seek the Lord together. Would you do that with me? Hallelujah.